Good morning. Welcome to Community Bible Church. We're glad that you're here. Today is the first day of Advent, the Advent season, so we are excited as we finally entered the Christmas season. I cannot believe we're entering the final month of the year. Oh my goodness. And maybe that's just what it feels like to get old. I mean, maybe that's just what life is like. Maybe I just got to get used to it. I'm 36 now, and just it's, it's just all fast from here on out. And so uh, I remember as a kid, it, it took forever for Christmas to come every year. I feel like it just, and, and the older I get, it just, it's faster. It just, it just, it just gets here. I know, I know. I know, I know. I, I hear you. As I think about Christmas, I, I think about Christmas songs. And my favorite Christmas song, uh, one of my favorite Christmas songs, my favorite is Joy to the World. I feel like we could sing Joy to the World any time of the year, and, and we probably should. But one of my favorite Christmas songs is Oh Holy Night. Not only does it have a beautiful melody, um, I think it has some beautiful truths in it as well. One that reminds me of, of, of kind of the context of the culture that was happening here in Luke chapter 11. It says this in, in Oh Holy Night, the, the writer of, of, this, of the song says, A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. When you think about this, this weary world that, that Christ put on flesh and he entered into, he, he entered into a world full of religious leaders who were misinterpreting the Word of God, who were adding burden upon burden upon burden about what it meant to be God's people. To be truly saved. To truly have a relationship with God. They created their own man-made rules and their own structures and, and, and their own books about what it actually meant to, to follow God. And it wasn't meant to ease the burden. Although they probably thought that maybe it was easing the burden, but it wasn't easing the burden. It was adding burden upon burden upon burden. And there was this system where the scribes and, and, and the Pharisees, they were adding these rules and they weren't living them themselves. It, it, was, a, it was a culture full of, of, of religious pride. It, it, was a, it was a culture of, of hypocrisy. And we talked about this a lot last week. And into such a world that is weary and beaten down and hopeless enters Christ Jesus to give us hope, to earn us salvation, to bear the wrath of God for us, to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law that we could not fill. Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but what, church? To fulfill them. And that he did. But today, we continue kind of a part two of last week of, of, of that focus of, of hypocrisy. Mainly Jesus rebuking these religious leaders who in large part were responsible for creating this weary world, this weary culture, this religious, self-righteous, works-righteousness culture. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Luke. 
Today I'm going to be in verses 37, uh, chapter 11, verse 37 through 12, verse 3. Please follow along your Bibles as I read. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to, to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. May God bless the reading of his word. My main point this morning is this, church. Jesus, Jesus is calling us to beware the danger of dead hypocritical religion. Jesus is calling us to beware the danger of dead, hypocritical religion. Again, we're, 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 we're talking about you know, really focusing in on, on, on hypocrisy. Is that, that is what Jesus, towards the end of the sermon, we'll get to this, but Jesus tells his, his disciples, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisies. He's kind of recapping this whole dinner party that happened. Remember we talked about this dinner party last week? You know, a Pharisee he invites Jesus over for dinner, and, and the dinner didn't quite go maybe the exact way that the Pharisee thought. You know, he, he brings him over for dinner, he sits down, and Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't follow their little man-made rules. Their man-made rules of washing their hands, this ritual cleansing before dinner. Jesus says, I don't want anything to do with your man-made rules, bro. And so he, 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 Jesus just sits down. The Pharisees astonished. He's shocked. And Jesus knows exactly what he's thinking. Jesus knows that this Pharisee 
actually, because Jesus will not follow his man-made rules of ritual cleaning, this, this Pharisee actually believes that Jesus is unclean. And Jesus doesn't sit there and say nothing. Jesus doesn't, just, he doesn't ignore it. Jesus lets the Pharisees have it for their self-righteousness, for their hypocrisy. He, he points out the fact that these, these hypocrites, they, 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 they do focus on things and care about things and give their lives to things that God doesn't even care about. They're just so focused on, on all the wrong things. And the second, these, these, these hypocrites, these Pharisees, they, they are not actually focusing on the things that God does care about, mainly their hearts. They're focused on outward expressions of righteousness without a heart that desires God, without a heart that loves God, without, without a heart that actually desires holiness. And this isn't just a problem for them. Because these, these Pharisees, these basically political rulers of, of this time that, that cared about following the oral traditions of, of the elders and of the scribes, the lawyers, which we'll talk about in a second, this, this group of people, this influential group of people, this, this group of people that all the Jews would have looked at and thought, man, these are the godly guys. These are the guys that are serious about their faith. These are the guys that, that are clearly God's people right here. These are the guys we're going to look to to be an example. He says, this isn't just a problem for you, Pharisees. You're actually dangerous to, to all the crowds who are looking to you as a standard of righteousness in their culture. He tells them, like, you're, you're, you're like unmarked graves. People get around you and, you, and they're unclean. They listen to your teaching and they're unclean. They, they come and they interact with you and they're unclean. You're not leading them towards righteousness. You're leading them against righteousness. You're leading them a, a, away from God. And, and then as he's saying this, we, we, see, we see this, point one, that hypocrites have a theology problem. We want to know the, 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 the biggest problem, the biggest reason for hypocrisy? It's theology. It's bad theology. Hypocrites have a theology problem. You're like, where do you see that? Well, let's talk about it. Because, because as Jesus starts digging into these Pharisees, all of a sudden a lawyer stands up. And, and a lawyer's like, hey, um, Jesus, I, I need you to know something. You're saying this to the Pharisees, but as you're saying this to the Pharisees, you're insulting us as well. And, and, and so that's, that's where it kind of, it's kind of important to understand a little bit of the difference between a Pharisee and a scribe. A Pharisee and a scribe. A Pharisee, again, like I've said, is more of like a political type ruler. They, 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 were, they were righteous men, but they were, they were more about following the traditions, the oral traditions, the oral laws that these scribes would write. The scribes were the ones who were interpreting the law and, and creating all of these rules and, and regulations about what it actually meant to follow the law. We talked about this a few months ago when, when uh, Jesus was rebuked by the Pharisees for, his, for healing on the Sabbath. Remember that the, the Pharisees rebuked Jesus because Jesus, in their eyes, did some work on, this, on the Sabbath. Jesus didn't do work on the Sabbath. Jesus followed the law completely, perfectly, to its fullest intent. But the, but the Pharisees, they, they, you know, they, were about, they had all these rules about what it meant to follow the law. You know, you could carry this much weight. You could carry weight in this hand. You could walk this far. And if you walk this far, it's work. If you, if you walk this far, it's not work. If, if they created all of these different standards, 6,000 laws. 6,000. 
6,000 different laws that were not written in the Word of God about their interpretation of what it meant to obey the Word of God. The scribes, these lawyers, these lawyers are the ones that would write these different rules in the Mishnah. The Pharisees were the ones who were the most passionate outwardly about following them and calling the Jews to conform to them. Okay? So, so the, the, the really more uh, important folks to the culture, the really standard of truth, the, the truth bearers, would have been the scribes. They were like, if you wanted to understand the Torah, you would go to the scribes. And so... What I believe the lawyer is saying here is, teacher, I don't think that you mean to offend us. Because after all, we're, we're the experts in the law here. We, we understand the Torah. Surely you don't mean to insult us. And Jesus is like, on the contrary, my man. And Jesus doesn't hold back. If you think that, that, that he really took it to the Pharisees, listen to what he says to the lawyers here. I mean, let's be honest. Nobody really likes lawyers. No offense if you're a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer at one point. Not anymore. But Jesus, look how bold he is. Look at how direct he is at confronting the sin of these lawyers. Jesus isn't being nice. Look at the lawyer's own words. Jesus is being insulting. Jesus is not afraid to take off the gloves. Jesus is not afraid to be direct. Jesus is not afraid for a fight. Jesus is not afraid of being accused of being mean or being insulting or being taken the wrong way. Jesus here is direct. He's confrontational. It's not that anybody was even looking for a fight. Jesus knows their heart and Jesus starts the fight. You see that here. Now this isn't always Jesus' strategy. So the, to don't take Jesus here and say, like, I'm always going to be the guy who's always just going to be ringing the bell, who's always going to be looking to fight, who's always got my gloves off. Who's all, that's, Jesus has been very merciful, and Jesus has been very compassionate, and Jesus has oftentimes been very meek and humble and quiet. So don't, don't take, but, but here, I want us just to see how passionate is, Jesus is towards dead, hypocritical religion. There's anything that we see that Jesus really hates. It's dead, hypocritical religion. So the lawyers here, as Jesus, he's, he's insulting these people. They were the, the theologians of their day. They interpreted the law for the Israelites. And, and this, this level of an interpretation, it, it, was, it was so highly valued that, that people really started to, to seek it out more than they actually sought out the word of God straight up for themselves. In fact, in, in, the, in uh, Sanhedrin 11.3, which is a part of the Mishnah, it says, there is greater stringency with regard to rabbinic interpretations of the Torah than with regard to matters of the Torah. And so what that means is there, there were people who were far, really more concerned that you're following the traditions of the elders than, than re with regard to the Torah itself. 
Essentially, the Mishnah was widely considered clearer than the Torah. I mean, they're like, well, what, what does it mean to follow the Sabbath? We understand this is what the Word of God says, but, but what does it really mean? That's where they'd go, and they would look at the Mishnah. They would go look at the oral laws, the oral traditions, the, the, the teachings of, of the elders. And so essentially, these lawyers were putting their own rules and regulations before the people of God rather than the Word straight up. So what's happening? And it was burdensome. It was burdensome and undermined the Word of God. It didn't help them understand the clear intent of the Word of God. It actually was burdensome. Keep in mind that most people were illiterate. We live in a very literate culture. We might not think we're very literate, but compared to the grand history past, we are, we are the most literate culture that's ever lived. Okay? And so when we, when we think about a society that, that wasn't literate, that wasn't wealthy, we, 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 that didn't have the kind of educational structures that, that we have today, they would go to these lawyers who would basically do their thinking for them in large part. And these lawyers created these complex rules, these complex structures. And the lawyers in that day, Jesus, I believe here, accusing them, says you load people with burdens that are hard to bear. What's he, what's, what's, he, what's he saying there? And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. What's, what's, what's he saying there? I, I think he's saying that, that these, these lawyers were not at all concerned about actually helping these people understand and follow the law. That wasn't their concern. They were simply making things more difficult. This word for adding burdens, it, it, it's, it's, it's the word that, that would have been meant to like add cargo to a ship. You're sending, you're sending a sailboat, you're sending a boat out to sea, and it's like you just keep on loading it up with cargo and, and rules and rules. The, the, the cargo is not making, the, making it any easier for that ship to travel. And as they interpreted the law, they were interpreting it as rule, regulation, rule, regulation, burden, 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 burden. And they were making things more difficult. And the worst part of it all is that the lawyers were creating the system of rules that they didn't even follow. Because they were lawyers, they would create the rules, but because they were lawyers, they would create the loopholes of, around the rules. And the loopholes always were an advantage to who? To them. I mean, as we see this today, we see politicians, and, and we've had all of these COVID restrictions and COVID this, COVID that. I'm not, I'm not going to argue about it, but what we all have seen is, is uh, you know, which is, you can't even argue against it, is that in large part, politicians think the rules don't apply to them. We've seen Republican and Democrat, you know, they're calling for certain rules and restrictions and they don't follow them themselves. This is what happens with, with, with people who create laws. When you create the laws, you often create the loopholes that don't apply to you. The lawyers in these days were not any different. Here's the reality. Get back to the theology problem. The lawyers did not understand the law. That's the problem. I'm sure they thought that, that the point of the law was to add burden and burden and burden and burden and burden. Make it harder, harder, make life worse. 
But we go to Psalm 19, chapter 7. I mean, uh, Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. And you know what we read? We read that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More, listen, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter, sweeter, not bitter, but sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. This is the law. This is the intent of the law, church. It's often, we, we think that God gave the law. I used to think this. I think, I, I, I felt that, that God gave the law to just beat down the people of God. Beat them down, and beat them down, and beat them down. wasn't God's intent of the law. The law was merciful to God's people as it revealed the character of God. It was meant to be a source, it was meant to be life-giving, reviving. It was meant to produce joy. It was meant to be desired. It was meant to be enlightening. It was not meant to be this burden. Ultimately, for people, it was a burden. Because man could never keep the law. But man was never meant to be saved by the law. It was never God's point of the law. You, you were never made right before God for following the law. That was never God's intent. God's purpose of salvation and justification was always grace alone. By faith alone. Look at James, and we see that, 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 that Abraham, he was, he was justified by what? Faith. That was the point. The law led God's people to understand the character of God, which, which would, have been, would have been life-giving. The lawyers did not understand the law because they didn't truly understand God. And hypocrisy is nothing more than a theology problem. It is a result of misrepresenting the character of God. The, the lawyers interpreted the law this way because they, they, they felt that God was nothing more than some tyrant living in the skies who wanted to smash them. That he was just some ogre that said, you've got to follow these rules or I won't love you. It's a result of misrepresenting the holiness of God. And when we struggle with hypocrisy, we, we misrepresent the holiness of God. We think that God somehow is satisfied with outward expressions of obedience with wicked hearts that no one else sees. 
We misrepresent the holiness of God. It's also misrepresenting the judgment of God. When we struggle with hypocrisy, we think that God is fine with us. We think God is fine with unrepentant sin. We think God is fine with us acting like we're something that we're not. To such a crowd, to the lawyers who would add burden upon burden upon burden and who would not touch the burden themselves, Jesus says, woe to you. Jesus does not say, it's okay, you prayed a prayer. It's okay, you walked an aisle. It's okay, you go to church. It's okay, you filled the offering box. It's okay, you stand in a pulpit. It's okay, you're a teacher. It's okay, you're a lawyer. No, he says, woe to you. You do not understand God. You do not understand grace. You do not understand the law. For you to think that God is satisfied with burden upon burden upon burden, you don't understand the gospel. That's what Jesus says. Their biggest problem was a theology problem. Because you know what Jesus comes and does? Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 8, 28 through 30, and Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is the heart of our God. Jesus came to earn salvation for us. Jesus came to offer grace. Jesus came to fulfill the law of God, to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. That is the heart of our God. May we look to the heart of Christ. And as we look to that, it, it just cures this, this desire to, to continue to just do and do and do and try to earn God's favor. That's what Jesus was coming and he was, he was preaching against. He says, no, follow me. Just follow me. Look at me. Look at, look, look, at, look at the mercy that I'm offering you. Gaze upon the mercy. See the merciful heart of God. The cure, one of the cures for hypocrisy is just looking at the merciful heart of God that we already sang about this morning. However, I shall repeat that judgment is coming for those who continue to bastardize the grace of God with a heavy yoke of works righteousness. Legalism is in no way honoring or desirable to God. You cannot twist legalism and rule upon rule upon rule to somehow think that God's okay with it. No matter how good your rule looks to you, to your family, or to the culture at large, God wants nothing to do with it. Point two, hypocrites think much of the sins of others and much of their own ability to obey. Hypocrites think much of the sins of others and much of their own ability to obey. Jesus says this, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. 
from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. See, what happened was these, many of, the, of the, the Pharisees and the lawyers and prominent Jews of that time, they would, they would go and they would you know, build memorials, build, build tombs for the prophets who were killed in the past. They would, they would decorate the tombs of, of the prophets that were uh, murdered in the past, these great prophets. You know, we, we won't get into all the prophets, but basically that's what they did. And what they're doing is they're saying, we are honoring the prophets like we should that our fathers didn't. Our fathers, we're looking back at them. Shame on you, fathers. Shame on you for what you did. Shame on you for killing the prophets. Shame on you for not listening to the prophets. Shame on you for being disobedient. Here we are building tombs, going to their graves, and we are honoring them. The very outward expression of, of, of righteousness here. It's highlighting their own piety and casting shame upon past generations that rejected the words of the prophets. They thought much of themselves. Real Christians build the we 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 go and we polish the tombs. We put flowers at the grave. Outward expression of piety. And Jesus is like, no, real Christians would have listened to the prophets, would have listened to them. They would have heeded their words. They would have obeyed the call to repentance. That's what Jesus says. See, th these, these hypocrites, these lawyers, they thought they weren't like their forefathers. They thought they were better. Oh, they sat there all smug with their accomplishments, sitting on their front rows, with their clean garments, their wilted bodies from, from fasting, their loud prayers, their this, that, the other. We aren't like our forefathers. We're honoring the prophets. You killed the prophets, but Jesus says this, in reality, you are not like your forefathers. You are worse. You're worse. You're not just worse. You are far worse. You see, these same sinful hearts of your forefathers that rejected the prophets, that killed the prophets, that murdered the prophets, those same sinful hearts live in you as you reject the Messiah who is standing in your midst. Why? Why would the people throughout history kill the prophets? Why? Why did the Pharisees and the lawyers hate Jesus and kill him ultimately? Because as Romans 3.18 says, the people of old and even the people in Jesus' day had no fear of God before their eyes. They thought much of themselves, much of their ability to obey. And as Romans 1 says, they did what was right in their own eyes. 
No fear of God. The only fear of man. Fear of their respect. Fear of their love. Fear of their praise. And, and all, the only thing that I care about is being praised by them. That's all my life consists of is praise of man. And so what, what's the easiest way to get praise of man? Outward expressions of righteousness. You don't get praise of man because of your heart. No, you just don't. No, I can't see any of your hearts this morning. You can't see mine. Often we think we can. But you know what really gets praise is outward expressions of righteousness. And outward expressions of righteousness to these guys look like doing a bunch of things that God didn't care about, like going and honoring the tombs and the graves of the prophets of old that were killed. And Jesus here, he says, you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them and you build their tombs. And he says that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. If you understand the Hebrew Bible, you would, you would understand that, that uh, the, the, the Hebrew Bible started with Genesis and ended with Second Chronicles. And the last prophet killed in the book of, of Second Chronicles is, 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 the, is the prophet Zechariah. Why was Zechariah killed? You can go back and, and read it this, this week. Second Chronicles 24, if you want, you want to go look him up. Zechariah was killed because it was a, it's a very short passage because Zechariah calls the Israelites to repent of their sin. Instead of repenting, they kill Zechariah. Straight up, very short few verses. Call to repent, they kill him. Almost every prophet was killed because they called people to repent. Why was Jesus ultimately killed? Because he called people to repent. Why was John the Baptist killed? Because he called for repentance. Do we see how much humankind loves their sin? When, when, when confronted with a call to repent of our sin, we oftentimes get angry. We get angry. We push back. And we, we, we hate when other people get in our business and call us to repent of our sin. We hate face-to-face -face conversations where friends do it. We hate preaching when it comes to a preacher calling us to repent of our sins. We, we naturally in our flesh, we hate it. And Jesus says that, that those people that killed Abel all the way to Zechariah, this line of unrighteousness, this line of unrepentant sinners, this line of uh, generations of, of, of self-lovers and God-haters, sin-lovers and holiness-haters, all of the blood that was spilled is charged against this generation. The generation that would ultimately put Christ to death. Because we must understand that the, the whole Old Testament pointed to this very time. The whole Old Testament, all the prophets, they're pointing to Jesus, his life. It all pointed to Christ. And the apostles and, and the prophets that would come after Christ, 
they would point back. They would point back to what Christ did. They would point back to his life, back to his obedience, back to his death, back to his resurrection. Even today, as I stand in the pulpit, I'm, I'm a prophet of God by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm preaching about what Christ did, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection. We look back to what Christ did. The Old Testament looked forward, but the New Testament looks back. And this generation that would kill and future generations that would kill, like they would kill William Tyndale, they'd kill others. That's all pointing to what Christ did. This, the blood of this generation here was guilty of it all. This generation in particular was more evil, for they saw the Messiah. They saw God in the flesh. They saw his miracles. They saw his teaching. They saw his consistency. They saw his power. They saw all of it. And they crucified him. This generation saw Christ rise from the dead. Physically. The tomb was empty, folks. The guarded tomb, heavily guarded tomb, was empty. This generation still rejected him. But it isn't amazing how similar we are to the lawyers. We look at past generations. We look at generations in the past. Maybe we, we, we look at our neighbor. We look at, you know, McNon mentioned, you know, relationship struggles. And, and, and we, we look at other sinners, other marriages. And we think we couldn't possibly be as evil as them. We couldn't possibly be as bad. We couldn't be as bad of a friend, as bad as a husband, as bad as a wife. We're certainly not like you know those racists from, from the 1950s and 60s. We couldn't possibly be like that. We couldn't possibly be as bad as the Democrats. We couldn't possibly be as bad as the Republicans. We aren't unrighteous like that. Well, friends, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, let everyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Let everyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We must understand that apart from the grace of God, we, like Adam, would have eaten in the garden. We, like Cain, would have killed our brother Abel. We, like David, would have committed adultery and murder. We would have killed the prophets. We would have sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We would have yelled, crucified him, and even driven the nails right through his hands. In fact, Jesus tells us that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Jesus tells you if you have hated your brother, you have committed murder. Apart from Christ, we really are that evil. We really are. I am and you are. We are really that vile. 
I don't care if you've got a Spurgeon shirt, if you've got a, if you've got an ESV Bible, if you watch every Christian documentary out there, if you've got a seminary, if you've got the t-shirts and the statues and you associate with Piper, you associate with, you name it, I don't care. You can have all the outward expression of righteousness that you, that you want. That doesn't make you clean. It doesn't. We must understand how evil and deceptive that our hearts can be at times thinking much of the sin of others and little of our sin. We must never find comfort in our own forms of righteousness. We must never find comfort in outward religious expressions or associations. The Heidelberg Catechism says this. It says, what is your only comfort in life and death? I love what it says. It is this, that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. That's our only hope. Hope's not in your righteousness. Your hope's not in your ability to obey. Your hope is in God alone. We must not think much of ourselves. We must know that God stands ready to forgive the most vile sinner. And if you are in Christ, that's you. He saved you, a vile sinner, a wicked-hearted, vile, evil sinner. And he's made you clean. He's made you righteous. And there's no room to boast But he will bring his full wrath upon every unrepentant, outwardly righteous, but inward, inwardly wicked sinner, every last one. And that includes you. If you have yet to repent of your self-righteousness, if you've yet to repent of your wickedness and to trust in Christ as Savior. Third, hypocrites lead themselves and others to hell. Hypocrites lead themselves and others to hell. Jesus says, Woe to you, lords, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. These lawyers, they were not leading people in righteousness. They weren't. They weren't actually leading them about God's grace and leading them about faith leading them about a desire to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as their self. They were not in any way, shape, or form pointing to anything godly or anything holy or anything that led to, to, to the way of life or, or led to the kingdom of God. Nothing. Not one iota. They weren't even close. It's like they were, they were traveling from Georgia and they were trying to get to California, but they ended up in Maine. Not even close. They were leading them to hell. They were teaching the exact opposite of what God intended. A life of hypocritical and legalistic works righteousness church is not Christianity. Amen. It's not. Oh, how we can excuse legalism. We hate antinomianism. We hate it with a passion. We hate rebellion and God hates rebellion. 
We hate guys who think that God doesn't care about holiness and, and, and that we should. That's nothing, there's nothing good about antinomianism, about, about just a heart that's rebellious who says, I, I'm saved so I can just live however I want because God forgives it. That is not Christian. And, all, and, and we don't tolerate that. We're like, yeah, we, we, you know, we, 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 we shout out against that. We preach against that. Amen. It's amazing how often we tolerate legalism. How often we tolerate works righteousness. We tolerate it. Jesus doesn't tolerate it. He says, you're you preach that? You live that? You are hindering those. You're hindering those. You're preaching a false gospel. We must understand how damning and serious legalism and works righteousness really is. Oh God, purge us. We sang this morning, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. Three times you kept singing it. Lord, don't just cure us from our rebellious hearts that would just continue just to have no concern for holiness. Purge us, Lord, from a heart that thinks that we can be holy on our own with our own man-made rules. God, save us from self-righteousness. Save us from hypocrisy that doesn't honor you. What we do as teachers matters. What we do as parents matters. What we do as disciple-making Christians, it matters. Our lives matter. Our doctrine matters. Our theology, it matters. This is literally, church, listen, this is literally a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. Do you understand that? I pray we do this morning as a church really grasp this, that as hard as we fight to push against lawlessness, that we would fight to fight against legalism and experience the true grace and mercy and joy and freedom that Christ brings. We preach the true gospel, one that brings life, founded by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the gospel. May we not be hypocrites that put an outward expression of righteousness with no inward desire for Christ. Point four, hypocrites remain in their sin when caught. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. The biggest problem with the scribes and the Pharisees wasn't that they were self-righteous sinners. The biggest problem with the scribes and Pharisees is that they were unrepentant self-righteous sinners. That was their biggest problem. They refused to repent when they were confronted with their own sin. Instead of listening to what Jesus said, describing their hearts accurately. I mean, even this lawyer, as, 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 as Jesus is just ripping on the Pharisee, the lawyer was aware enough to know that Jesus was talking about him. He knew it. And these Pharisees, they, they'd seen all the works that Jesus did, all the miracles that Jesus did, all the teaching, all the fact they have not been able to trap him one time. Not once. They're batting zero, zero, zero. They're swinging for Jesus. Not one punch has landed. And Jesus here, he exposes their sin. He exposes them. And Jesus in his ministry, he's done nothing but offer mercy to those who would repent. Nothing. 
Nothing but offer mercy. Nothing but offer grace. That's what Jesus offers. Oh, you, you know, you can be confronted with your own sin, and your own wretchedness, no matter how bad or evil or vile that you are, no matter how committed you are to your own glory, how, how long you've walked away from God your entire, entire life. Oh, but if you repent, if you trust in Christ, every time, every time, every sinner, every person, he forgives. Oh, he does. There's no need to keep fighting this battle, this Try and prove something that you're not. You don't need to. Do you understand that? Do you understand, church? We don't need to fight. We lay down our arms and we fall at the feet of Christ and say, Lord, have mercy, and he gives us mercy. There's no reputation to keep intact. I mean, who cares about what we think, honestly? Who cares? confess our sins, trust in Christ, and he gives us mercy. We're, we're a part of God's kingdom. We're his children. We're saved. Holy Spirit inside of us producing righteousness, making us more like Christ every day. Unrepentant sinners, though, they dig in. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. For, for, for the scribes and for the Pharisees, there's a turning point here in, the, in, the, in Luke. It's not that they're just angry at Jesus. It's they're actively working against Jesus. It's this point here that's going to lead right to the cross where the, where the religious leaders are going, to, are going to suggest that Christ be crucified over an actual criminal. So this turning point here is that unregenerate people respond to, to their sin being confronted. Bitterness. Bitterness towards the, the truth bearer justification of their sin, spite, revenge. The lawyers from this point forward were not hoping for Jesus' righteousness because they thought that he was somehow guilty. They wanted Jesus to fall. They wanted to trip up Jesus. They never could. Friend, when your sin is exposed by the preaching or teaching of God's word, how will you respond? How will you respond? Even this morning, if the Holy Spirit might be working on your heart, revealing hidden sin in your heart, revealing it. How will you respond? Will you conceal it? Will you continue to walk in unrighteousness? Dear friend, if you do, you were nothing, or you were just the same as these scribes and Pharisees. And you will experience the judgment of God unless you trust in Christ. But friends, see the freedom, church, that Christ offers to every repentant sinner. Finally, hypocrites will be exposed. Hypocrites will be exposed. In the meantime, with so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Jesus gives the crowds, Jesus gives more specifically his disciples a final warning in this section. It's very important. Do not be like these religious people. Do not be like them. I don't care how good they look. I don't care how important they look. 
I don't care at all. I, I don't care what it costs you by, by, by not associating with them. Beware. Do not model your life after them. Do not listen to their teaching. They are nothing but a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites. Beware. Church, as I close, there's a point in which we all struggle with hypocrisy. It really is. It's amazing. I, I, I've listened to, to this podcast for, I don't know, a few months now. I've, I've talked to you, a few guys about it. The Rise and Fall of, of Mars Hill, and it was about the you know, rise and fall of Mars Hill Church in, in Seattle, Washington. How big it got and then how quickly it fell. And, and it's amazing how many things I see in that podcast, that, whether it be through it's the, the former pastor, Mark Driscoll, or whether it be through the congregation, or whether it be through their elders, or this and that and the other, that, that I just, just sinful things that happened. Not just one person, but many that, that, that I see that's like, man, was that the problem, or was that the problem, or was that the problem, or was that the problem for the reason that they fell? And the reality is, the more and more I look, the more and more I see myself in there. The more and more I see our body. The more and more I see the way that we are, we are very prone to the very same sin although it's not public for the world to see on a podcast because our church isn't 10, 20,000 people. I think it's very easy for us at times when confronted with that to be comf comfortable with just a little bit of hypocrisy. Just a little. You know, my hypocrisy isn't that bad. My life, when I look at it, it's pretty good. People think I'm a pretty good guy. People think, you know, maybe that's what you're thinking this morning. People think I'm moral. People think I'm a good Christian. Sure, I've got hidden sin. I've got a heart that doesn't love Christ. Church, may we, may we not be a people that is comfortable with any leaven. The leaven of the hypocrisies. Or the, 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 the leaven of the Pharisees, which was hypocrisy. May we be a people when confronted. May, may we confess that sin, as 1 John calls us to. Knowing that Christ will give us mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. May we be a people who constantly look at the holiness of God and the mercy of God, cast ourselves before the feet of Jesus Christ, knowing that he will give us mercy. May we be humble. May we not be about a facade. May we, may we not be about religious performance. May we be people who are just captivated by the burdens that Christ takes from us, by the life that he offers and by the joy that he offers. And may we walk in freedom, not legalism, in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ because we love 